0: I'll do a little reflection on equanimity. We'll do some practice. So this day is a beautiful way to connect to equanimity. After seven full days of practice, there's a lot of momentum in the mind. And often what happens, I've seen this, I've been talking to some of you, Equanimity is a quality that grows and grows with this kind of momentum. We might not even know that that's what's happening for us. But there's a deeper sense of calm, of basic okayness. We're riding these waves with a little more grace. And sometimes it can feel surprising, Shouldn't I be all up and down and all over? But the mind is just a little bit more okay. Matthew pointed beautifully to that, finding rest and peace and strength, fortitude. So this word equanimity can feel a little cumbersome, but it can also be thought of as balance, impartiality, a kind of equal standing, seeing with quiet eyes, and some of the images from the suttas are a sense of a bird's-eye view that we can gain great perspective with equanimity. And another wonderful, we're giving you all these Pali words, Wonderful, kind of fun word that means equanimity is tatra-maja-tata. Tatra-maja-tata. It's kind of like onomatopoeia. It sounds like shaky, right? Tatra-maja-tata. Shake- the whole world is shaking. ta 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 But equanimity is that in the middle, majja. Maja. Right in the middle of all the, we find our place in the family of things. Right in the middle of a world that is shaking or not shaking, an uprightness, a dignity. And we need equanimity with all of the other Brahma-viharas because as they deepen, we also start to see how they slide into their near enemies. Metta can become a little sticky and attached. We really want our good friend to be happy. And same with compassion. It can get very sentimental. And we talked about feeling overwhelming grief, which isn't quite compassion, sliding off its center a little bit. And with joy, too, we can get really exuberant, so happy. It's not quite in balance. So equanimity is that friend that comes and centers us again. A cool, quiet, deeper kind of love. Very quiet, very peaceful. Biku Analio, very wonderful scholar, monk, German-born, who is on a year-long retreat himself now in Barrie, Massachusetts, he offers these images for the Brahmaviharas that I think are very helpful. So he says, Metta is like the noonday sun, shines equally on everything, bright, even, center of the sky, Metta. Karuna, or compassion, is like the sunset. There's a kind of poignancy, a softness, that darkness is near, the night is coming, and that makes the sunset even more beautiful. Compassion. And then Mudita, joy is like the dawn. The dew is sparkling on the grass, and the birds are singing. There's a kind of freshness in the morning. And then Upeka, or equanimity, is the full moon at night. And we've had some really beautiful moonlit nights haven't we? So it's a different quality of light. It's cooler. It's also very graceful, very poised in the sky. So that's equanimity. As part of my summer retreat, I was working through each Brahma Vihara sequentially. So I spend a little more than a week on each. And it was really rich to just do the phrases so categorically. And I was into all of them, really into metta and compassion, joy. And it was very striking when I got to equanimity because I could see all the ways that I was toppling off my center and equanimity was like a clean sword that brought them back into balance. So I was using a traditional phrase. The traditional phrase for equanimity is I am the owner of my karma. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind and not on anybody else. So the question the other day was a beautiful one, it's true. The teachings say that our only true possession is our karma. And karma, literally translated, simply means action. It's not so mystical or cosmological. Karma simply means action. I am the owner of my actions. So the whole of the path in some way can be seen as taking true responsibility for these actions here with this one. Can't take responsibility for anybody else's actions because you are the owner of your karma. So this equanimity phrase is all about healthy boundaries. I can take responsibility for this much, and with all of my good wishes for happiness and freedom from suffering, but at a certain point, we have to offer this back to others. We have to give them their own journey. We have to let it it go, right? give them their agency. And we have an agenda often for our friends and our family, and especially our kids. Very high practice, equanimity for your children. But it's such a beautiful offering, just like all the other Brahmaviharas, to gift back and say, your life, your journey, I care for you, I wish you well, and you're the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not my wishes for you. Beautiful teaching in this, in this phrase. So we'll do some, we'll use the phrase a bit for ourselves. And the insight I had doing this phrase for myself was, oh, really sit up straight. I am the owner of my actions. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits. Very important, actually, and it's empowering. We get to decide. Through this practice, we're growing this inner guide that can tell us, "Okay, this is the way, and then we act. Very useful for daily life practice. And then with others, we're giving them back their journey. Not that we don't care. It's not cold. Not indifferent, that's the near enemy. We can still wish them all our wishes, and we give them back their agency.
1: So let's do some practice together. Finding your posture.
0: Perhaps taking a deeper breath or two, just letting yourself arrive in this fresh moment, new moment. And the same kind of homecoming to your body and your breath. How is it now? Then we stay very open and curious, noticing how this phrase lands. I am the owner of my karma. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind, not on anybody else. doesn't matter what other people think about me, how they're judging me, their agenda for me. I am the owner of my karma. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind, not on anybody else, not on external conditions. Not on things being a certain way, not on problems getting resolved. I'm the owner of my karma and my actions. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my own habits of mind, not on anybody else.
1: I am the owner
0: of my karma. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind, not on anybody else. Now, traditionally, with equanimity, we would choose someone we don't know very well. That we start with someone it's easy to feel balanced and even some impartiality towards. We don't really know them, a stranger, a neutral person. So it could be someone on this retreat, maybe your neutral person from one of the other heart qualities, Brahma Vihara's. And you don't know all of the details of their lives, so it might be easy just to send them this phrase, offer them this wish. Noticing who comes to mind, just any neutral person. You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. Notice often with a stranger, one we don't know very well, it's easy to see that. Yeah, they're a journey. So notice a kind of natural coolness. Sure, we can care. We care about each other. And you are the owner of your karma, your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. Notice what happens in the body and the heart. Notice, sometimes it can feel a little strange or wrong, but if you're feeling a kind of balance, coolness, presence, this is equanimity. We're not disconnected. We still care, but there's a kind of uprightness and offering back. Each person, their particular actions, their choices, they're theirs. You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. And now we'll choose someone a little closer in. And often the invitation is not to choose the most important person in your life, but maybe a friend, a colleague, a family member. Notice where the mind goes. Could be someone you've already been working with this week, you're holding in mind. You might bring a mental image of them or the felt sense, how it is to be with them. Notice what your heart does a a care, you know, a care, a loved one, a dear one, someone you care for.
1: My friend.
0: You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. It's not a cold indifference, but a kind of respect. Yes, I care. I care, I care for you for you. And you are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. See if you can notice the difference if you're stumbling into a kind of numbness or indifference. The fine line between a sense of staying engaged, connected, still in metta, and yet an offering back. You have your journey. You're the owner of your karma. And of course I care. But your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not my wishes for you. Yes, I wish you happiness and peace, health and safety, freedom from suffering. And I can rejoice in all your many blessings. And still you're the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind. And not at anything else. So now we can go wide, this creative part of Brahmavihara practice, noticing if anyone else is asking for your wishes, this gift of equanimity, this offering, that kind of equal standing. I see you, I care for you, and I offer this back to you. You are the owner of your karma. And so notice if the mind is feeling into other family members, other people in your close circle. And widen the circle now. You might notice other people around you. Whoever else comes to mind could be people you know about in the news. Could be your pets. My friends, you are the owners of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your own habits of mind and not my wishes for you. I kind of releasing back, giving the world back its lawful unfolding. Of course, we take responsibility for our karma, our actions, what we can do. And then the rest, we offer back to the law. We surrender to this lawful unfolding in the world. So perhaps now bringing to mind groups of people, those you've held in mind, those you know of, those you don't, All the beings now, being born, dying, those who are sick, those who are healthy, those who are suffering, and those who are joyful, big bodies and little bodies and medium-sized bodies, letting your mind be creative. Notice what comes to mind, animals, insects, the whole wide world out there that is moving and churning, all kinds of things and stories and lives being lived. Actions, results. Knowing it's all moving forward according to karma, according to cause and effect. And we can know this and live in alignment with it. We can find peace in this truth. Things are just as they are. And yes, we do own our actions. We can make choices. But we have to offer back the world its own. So holding all these beings in mind And like a gift, we can say, you're the owners of your karma. My friends, I care, I care so much for the world. And yet all of your happiness and all of your unhappiness is the result of your own mental habits, your habits of mind, and not my wishes for you. So in this way, we participate with responsibility but we can also let go moment by moment. We can't control. It's all so ungovernable. Our actions are our only true possession.
1: My friends,
0: you're the owners of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not my wishes for you. Notice, notice how your body and mind respond to this truth. A kind of balance, a sense of keeping your center, just right in the middle of all the unreliability, the uncontrollable nature of things. And this is how we stay poised in a world that is shaking. I am the owner of my karma. My happiness and unhappiness depend only on my habits of mind and not on anybody else. And now maybe just another deeper breath and notice if there are phrases or images or effort, just letting it all go, letting it just seep back into the earth, offering it to the earth. And then allowing your body and heart to just rest very simply right here, nothing else to do.
1: Kind of release, surrender.
0: So I hope this is useful, and in particular as we move back into our lives and the world, just recognizing that sense that you can stay upright in a kind of sensibility, responsibility, and also giving back the world its karma. Yeah, thank you.
2: We have several things we're going to do this afternoon. Um, So we're going to, I'm going to give what's called a Donna talk that I'm going to explain in just a moment, and then we'll take a break. Um, And then we'll come back and um, do some preparation um, for moving into the world of speech. And then after we do that for a little bit, then the managers are going to come and we have a lot of logistical things to take care of. <laughs> so you can appreciate the stillness here. Where it's at? Um, I want to talk about Donna. Donna is a poly word, and you'll notice I don't use many poly words, um, um, but Donna is this word, it's the word itself is generosity. And so uh, what I want to talk about is generosity, just the polyness of generosity and that word itself, and why we have these talks at the end of a retreat, right before we go home. Um, But we use this word generosity when we're talking about Donna because we are specifically talking about offering financial assistance to the teachers. The teachers, we agree not to um, take any kind of money or any... Spirit Rock couldn't afford to pay us anyway. So there's no, we don't get any uh, assistance from Spirit Rock when we do these retreats. And we've all kind of agreed to this system that this is the system that Buddha created many, 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 many years ago. Um, He created a system where his monks and nuns could not. Eat, or they could not sustain themselves on their own. They became dependent upon the community that they um, practiced around. So they could not just go off into some cave or into some forest and just stay there by themselves and turn their backs on the world. They could not do that. They were dependent on the community itself to come and offer them um, their food, their medicines, their robes um, whatever they needed in order to support them so that they could continue to practice. and the community was dependent upon the monks in this is uh, I have some friends that were born Buddhists, and their explanation of this to me once was very, very telling, that the community would depend upon the monks, the nuns, to practice to gain wisdom and then to bring that wisdom back to them so that they could uh, stay in a householder world and kind of do their householder things but still uh, keep their hearts open and still keep their... um, Uh, the the possibility of a mind awakening would still be there. And so we, when, um, I think it was Joseph and Sharon and Jack, when they came back from Asia, what they brought back was Donna, that we're going to talk about here in a second, that I'm talking about. Sila, that Matthew is going to talk about. And this practice of samadhi. And they brought that, those three pillars back into the community as here. So what does that mean? What I think that means is there is a, I wish actually that we used the word reciprocity. I think that is a better word here, but let's go with the word dana. <laughs> there is a there is a relationship that we have with you. It's difficult for us to express it the same way because we don't have robes. But if we had robes, you would automatically know that you would be caring for us and that we would be caring for you. But because we don't have robes, there is this extra requirement that we have in the West to actually talk about Donna, Monks, nuns, they don't talk about dana. It is known, but we have to actually talk about it. And there is a degree of difficulty that comes from a teacher to have to come in front of a community and ask for help. It is a great difficulty. And we can give some difficult dhamma talks about difficult subjects and Complicated subjects, but you say, who's going to do the Donna talk? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh! <laughs> not me, not me. <laughs> I think it's, it's alongside what it's like for a monk and a nun to carry their bowl into a city. I've never seen it, but I've heard tell of it that's very quiet I would think of it as a livelier thing, but it's not. It's very quiet. And they walk quietly, and they walk at a walking meditation pace, and they walk into the community, and um, they just walk in. And people know they're coming, so they stand outside and they offer the food for that day. And my teacher, who was a monastic for about five years, he said that you had a sense that people gave at the level they could give. So you know that even if the person is only putting leaves in your bowl, you know that that's what they're eating also. And for the people who could put more in the bowl, they would put more in the bowl so that the monks and nuns did not have to just eat leaves. It could have been possible, but there was an understanding. It was uh, unspoken understanding that would happen. And so for many of our early teachers, that's the system of dana that they uh, kind of learned dana from. This It was pure generosity. Somebody was just giving to help you sustain yourself so that you could continue to practice. That's what these dana talks, I think, are for, is to ask the community, and we have to ask because there's no other way for us to communicate that. We could just walk in here and sit down, but eventually you'd be waiting for some kind of talk, (laughs) which would be the Donna talk. So there's this way that we have to come and communicate that we need your help in sustaining our ability to practice. Um, I think pretty much this whole team, none of us work other than teaching. And so we are completely kind of um, living off of the generosity of others. So everything that we do, everything we pay for, everything we need to pay for, everything we need to live from our, the cost of rent, or mortgage, all the way to um, food, cars, it doesn't matter, insurance, all of it. It's a choice that we made. So it's not an obligation to you, but it's more of an understanding that um, that's why we're having this talk with you, is because of this need to come in front of a community and ask for support. But I'd also like you to think about this asking for support a little differently. Because everything in the world this is why I think it should be more of a... We should call these talks reciprocity talks because there is not... It's not... What we do here is not a fee for service. We do not come and teach and then expect a fee in, re, in return, like a contract, some kind of transaction. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is... We come and teach, and then we come and ask you for support. Just like you have been asking us for support all week, that same sense of you should never have to feel as though you're asking for support is a burden to us or too much for us, or I don't know if I want to hear that right now. It, It should not be that way. It should be that we both have this need and that we can ask for that support back and forth just as part of the practice we're here. The same way the monastic world would walk into a village and would never feel ashamed for walking there. And the villagers would never feel ashamed that they only could offer leaves and they wouldn't feel boastful if they could offer something much greater. Or some people pay for the dhana for the whole day at the monastery, and you don't have to actually go into the village to ask for it. So no one should feel boastful about being able to do that. It's out of your own joy and uh, happiness to be able to share that, and no one should feel ashamed for being able to offer only a small amount. What I want to emphasize is the need to offer something. This is what I think becomes the most important part about why I like giving Donna Talks. It's because, I'll just tell you, growing up, when I grew up, it was very common in the black community to have what would be called rent parties. And rent parties like Every month, at the end of the month, we would go and have this big party and everybody would bring the food and everybody would bring whatever, the drinks or whatever was happening, and everybody would put some money in this pot and that pot would go to somebody's rent for that month. And it wasn't that we got our rent paid every month but there would be a moment when we would get our rent paid. And I begin to have this sense, and if you haven't read the book by, uh, I can't remember her name, but it's called Braiding Sweetgrass, she articulates this uh, in a way that I could never articulate, the need to begin to learn reciprocity. So you have had these experiences, and there's a gift about being on a retreat, If you just go down the hill at the end and you leave and you never put something in the pot for what you get, it leaves a a vacancy, an opening that's not quite closed off. And so what I want you to hear is not... I'm hoping you hear me freely say that your offering is whatever you offer but that the offering itself is what's important. It's the participating in something that we've all created here together and offering something.
1: If you look at nature, you
2: will see I don't think nature ever compares. I don't think the trees ever compare themselves. I don't think the majestic trees don't look at the scrowny one next to them and be like,
0: oh.
2: <laughs> I just don't think that happens. I don't think the, the animals, the lizards, the birds, I don't think they look at each other and judge or compare the quality of it. There is a bit of boastfulness with the turkeys around. <laughs> but that, I think that has another framing around that. <laughs> but what I think we can learn from is that from trees, we have begun to learn that trees from very, 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 very far away will help support the needs of trees here. That there is a, knowing there's a need, and that alone is what triggers the support that comes that way. That's very much the way this community is. It's very much the way I've lived in this community. Some of you may know that my son is very sick, and that we set up a fund for him, and I was blown away by the level of, offering and gift that comes. So it is not that the community doesn't come. I'm really giving this talk to support the people who are not used to the reality that there would be a Donna talk at the end of a retreat. And so this is really to help encourage that continued support. And many of you have heard many Donna talks, so you know. Um, I think that's all I have to say. Are you guys good? Okay. So we are going to take a break here. And um, let's say um, I I have two different times here. So um, let's say 10 minutes. So try to come back so that we're back here by... um, Uh, 425, so that we have enough time to really uh, do some mindful speech and hearing. Excuse me? Four. Oh, three. No, four. 425. Let's be back in the room by 425. Thank you so much for for your attention.